Welcome to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. IFA Talk is for professional investors only. Thank you. Thanks very much for joining us for the latest episode of IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast, where we talk to people who matter about things that matter in the world of financial services. This week's is a special edition in partnership with GBI Magazine. I'm Matt Williams, online writer here at GBI and IFA Magazine, and joining me on the podcast this week is IFA Magazine's editor, Sue Whitbread. Uh, hello, everyone. We, we're talking today with the tax year end in full sight now, and we know that advisors will be busy ensuring that clients' affairs are as well-placed as they can be to minimise their tax liabilities. And venture capital trusts, or VCTs, are just one of the tax-efficient investment options that have particular attractions at this time of year, as well as throughout the year, of course. So for this week's IFA Talk podcast, and it's a special edition, as Matt said, with GBI magazine, we're going to be delving into VCTs. And we've got a, a, a guest who is ideally placed to tell us all about them. And he is Mark O'Donnell. Mark is head of research at MICAP. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining Matt and myself today. Thank you very much for having me, Matt and Sue. It's nice to be here. Oh, it's good to have you. Can we get started then, uh, Mark, perhaps asking you to tell us a bit about MICAP and your role within it, as well as perhaps we can ask you to give us a bit of revision about what VCTs actually are for any of our listeners today who may not be that familiar with them or have just you know, gone a bit rusty. Of course. Yeah, I head up the research team for MICAP which is the leading provider of research on tax advantage investments. And our client base is exclusively financial advisors and wealth managers, as many of these firms have historically shied away from recommending enterprise investment schemes, venture capital trusts, or business relief investments to their clients, as I've often found that compliantly researching this sector is quite time-consuming, or it's essentially typically non-core business, Plus, the application and ongoing reporting processes were also quite time consuming. As for venture capital trusts, to remind everyone, VCTs are closed end investment companies and that typically invest in unquoted trading companies, with the VCT itself listed on a regulated stock market, such as the London Stock Exchange. VCTs typically raise funds once a year, and that's usually between September and March, and each will have a fixed fund raise. And once this is reached, which typically allows for any overlockment facility, the VCT will then be closed for the rest of the year. VCTs were launched in 1995 as vehicles to encourage UK taxpayers to invest in smaller early stage UK companies, which needed startup, early stage or growth capital. And the VCT pulls investors' money and appoints a regulated fund manager who manages the VCT on a day-to-day -day basis. Total AUM in the VCT world at the moment is about 6.2 billion, which is up from 4.3 billion in the last five years. So it's a growing space. And the key advantage is that VCT investors receive 30% income tax relief on their investments and also benefit from tax-free capital gains and tax-free dividends, assuming they remain invested for five years. And for new qualifying investments made by the VCT, there are set criteria by HMRC that investee companies must reach to be eligible, including restrictions on the age and the size of the company. 
This means that essentially VCTs are restricted to investing into smaller, younger companies. That obviously increases the risk profile of the asset class, but this is mitigated by the tax benefits. Thank you for that, Mark. I think that was a very good summary. You crammed a lot in there. <laughs> Hi, Mark. It's uh, yeah, great to talk to you today and uh, to hear more about uh, MyCap and about VCTs. Um, you've, you've covered a lot in that in that first answer, but just want to hear from you. Uh, why do you think advisors should have VCTs on their radar and um, why should they recommend them as part of their clients' portfolios? Yeah, of course. I think the first and the often key point is that, as mentioned, investors get 30% income tax relief on newly issued VCT shares if they remain invested for five years. And there's no capital gains tax upon exiting the VCT. So investors can effectively recycle their VCT investments into another VCT after five years. So you can effectively, you know, keep recycling that income tax relief. Compare this to, say, pensions where the tax relief occurs just once and then your funds are locked in up until retirement and then taxed on exit, depending on how you exit. And VCTs also benefit from providing tax-free dividends. So most established VCTs target dividend yields of around 4-5% a year, with the potential for any special dividends if they have a large successful exit from an investee company. So if an investor goes into a VCT each year, these tax-free dividends could build up to provide a reasonable tax-free income. In comparison, uh, high earners have been hit by frozen allowance for tax-free dividends of just £500 from 2024. And we've also noticed that over the last few years, there's been a positive trend in the share buyback policy of many VCTs. So most VCTs now offer to buy back investors' shares at a discount of just 5% of NAV down from approximately 10% in the recent past. So this has been a real benefit to investors, and it also helps to limit the amount that the shares will trade at on the secondary market as well. Another benefit is that VCTs enable investors to gain access to the world of venture capital, which can often be elusive, and it can bring diversification benefits to an investor's portfolio. Typically, VCTs have a portfolio of 30-plus investee companies, which can be across a range of sectors and companies at different growth stages. But for example, the British Smaller Companies VCTs, they've got um, one of their investee companies is called Matillion, which I think is now worth about $3 billion. So it's, you know, far from the sort of small startup that you would think would be in all the VCTs. And that's just one example. And the reason why the government is keen to continue its support for VCTs and EIS investments is that they are supporting British innovation and helping such companies raise the funds they need to grow and to develop. Fairly recent research undertaken by the Venture Capital Trust Association, they said that over 100 fast-growing companies that they surveyed, the biggest barrier that they found to their growth was a lack of capital. And it's a challenging fundraising market for startups and scale-ups. So it's a crucial role that VCTs, as well as EIS investments, play in supporting the growth companies for the UK economy. And lastly, with the current economic climate reducing the valuation of some of these investee companies, which obviously impacts the performance of VCTs as well of late, it could be a good time to invest in these companies through VCT. It's fairly typical that after a period of economic uncertainty, there's often a period of growth, so it could be a very good time to be investing into growth companies. 
through obesity. Thank you for that, Mark. And you mentioned there that it, we're running into where well, we really are in the throes of VCT season now, aren't we? And you also alluded to the fact that the general economic climate out there is pretty challenging. So I wonder then, what, what is the current fundraising environment like for VCTs out there just now? Yeah, I mean, the last couple of years have been very strong fundraising year for VCTs. So for some context, the 2021 tax year, there was 685 million raised into VCTs. And then it's nearly doubled to 1.13 billion the following year, and then dropped slightly to 1.08 billion in 22-23. And our data suggests that overall fundraising has slowed down slightly again this year, with just over 400 million raised to date for this tax year, compared to, we think, just over 500 million raised this time last year. So at the current rate of inflows, you could expect the total raise for this tax year to be approximately 900 million if this plays out, which could be down on the last two years. As you say, difficult economic circumstances at the moment. But it'd still be the third highest year of fundraising for VCTs. Positively, we've already seen a, uh, Octopus close its two AIM VCTs. And Foresight have closed its Foresight VCT and Foresight Enterprise VCTs having already reached their target fundraise. And we're expecting the three northern VCTs be closing to closing soon as well. And looking at some of the VCTs, there are some which are ahead of where they were equivalent time last year, like the two British smaller companies VCTs. And they've continued to have strong performance, as well as the Pembroke VCT, which is also see also showing strong, strong performance over the last three years. However, as we've alluded to, there are some VCTs which are behind from where they were this time last year, such as Octopus Titan. And that's significant because that's the largest VCT in the market. But there are others such as Molten VCT and Puma 13. And this is despite Puma 13 VCT being the best performing over the last five years. In talking to the managers, there are a few possible reasons for the potential slowdown in fundraising this year. The first, as everyone knows, is higher interest rates. And this could have a, a double impact on potential investors. Firstly, with the Bank of England base rate at five and a quarter percent, potential VCT investors are seeing they can earn a healthy rate of return just by holding cash, which is risk-free and liquid. In comparison, we find that VCT is an average return about 7% IRR, excluding tax relief, that is. And VCTs have a minimum holding period of five years, though, to retain the tax benefits. And the high interest rates may also lead investors to be delaying making a VCT investment this year, as they may be looking to maximise the return that they can get on cash in the bank. But such a strategy might see them missing out on some VCTs, which will have already closed by the time they go, actually, and I want to invest into a VCT. And the second impact of high interest rates is that those with the mortgage who are renting could be impacted by higher interest payments when their mortgages renew or on their rental prices. So potential VCT investors might be using any previous excess cash to pay down the capital on their mortgage while having to cover higher mortgage repayments. Data suggests that the average VCT investment is £40,000, but the minimum VCT investment is typically around £3,000. Though we've seen that some VCTs are now available on crowdfunding platforms, which allow for even smaller investment sizes. But there's potentially these smaller investment sizes, which might see people more impacted by increased interest rates and mortgage costs. 
And the second is the lifetime pension limits, which are due to be abolished from April 24. And this could mean that people who have maxed out their pensions and had invested into VCTs in the last couple of years are now able to fund their pensions instead. HMRC data suggests that investors allocating between 150 and 200,000 pound a year into VCTs accounted for the largest portion of funds raised in the 21 to 22 tax year. And we typically expect investors who have who invest in those sort of quantums to be at or near their pension lifetime allowance. And we'd also expect them to be fairly insulated from increased mortgage costs. You are listening to IFA Talk, IFA Magazine's weekly podcast. Subscribe to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts to be notified as soon as a new episode becomes available. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram at IFA Magazine. So uh, we are rapidly running out of time a little bit on this podcast, but we do still have time for one last question. Um, You've already touched a little bit on the performance of VCTs, but could you tell us um, maybe in a little bit more detail how VCTs are performing at the moment and also touch on some of the factors that advisors need to consider when recommending VCT? Yeah, there are a couple of important factors to look at when considering the performance of VCTs. Firstly, if it's a VCT investing into mainly AIM-listed companies or one which invests into quoted companies. And for VCTs that invest into the companies on the AIM market, you've got to look at what's what's been the drive, what's been the performance of the AIM market of late, which obviously they've been caught up with. And since its peak in September 2021, the AIM market's fallen by 42% to date. So it's therefore no surprise that the AIM VCTs have also seen similar poor performance over this time frame. However, MICAP have got a number of panel clients who are looking through this data and taking the opinion that Actually, it might not be a good. It might be a good time, sorry, to go into an AIM VCT. The market's fallen, and if you're wanting to go into the AIM market, an AIM VCT with a diversified portfolio is a tax-efficient way of doing this. And while the one-year performance of VCTs has been fairly varied, with some typically strong-performing VCTs seeing a flat or downturn in performance due to current valuations, because of their underlying investee companies seeing down rounds in their valuations. You see that the average VCT is down about 5% this year. However, the five-year performance, which is reflective of the minimum holding period you need in a VCT, looks much stronger. The best performing VCTs generated a return of 65% over this period, with 20 VCTs providing returns of over 20%. And that's before any income tax relief, let alone the benefit of tax-free dividends. And the gains are also being free of capital gains tax. And the age of VCT can also impact performance. A new VCT will take time for its underlying investee companies to see significant changes in their valuations, which drives the performance of the VCT. With recent investments typically held at cost for the first couple of years post-investment and ongoing fees of a VCT, it's not an unusual to see an initial drop in performance for a brand new VCT. Previously, with VCTs, we've had large cash positions We've seen potential cash drag. A VCT, which is deploying these funds into money market funds, are now generating a 5% return on these holdings. And from a consumer duty point perspective, there are three key things we think that an advisor needs to be able to demonstrate when they have recommended a VCT for a client. Have they acted to deliver good outcomes for their clients? Have they avoided foreseeable harm? And have they considered price and value 
which she thinks is an especially hot topic for the FCA at the moment. In terms of acting to deliver good outcomes, being able to demonstrate that you've conducted a whole of market research and product-specific due diligence is key. Whatever route you go down, we recommend the process always has a clear audit trail. And for the avoidance of foreseeable harm, there are a number of measures that advisors can take. Obviously, if a client already has exposure to VCT, then the research needs to consider their level of diversification. We know of some who basically each year they go into the same VCT. So there's got to be a potential concentration risk for such clients. And foreseeable harm should also be considered at a VCT level. Things to look out for include the number of, line, the number of underlying investee companies you'll get exposure to, as well as the concentration risk within the VCT. Does the largest holding or holdings account for a large share of its now? And also, what's the investment manager's track record of investing into growth companies? Are its own finances healthy? You know, these are medium to long-term investments after all. Just looking at the first one of these points in a bit more detail, the number of investee companies. If you invest into growth companies, you would typically expect around a 30% failure rate. And these companies have usually got minimal, if any, assets. For new qualifying investments, there needs to be a risk to capital. So investors invest into the same companies through an EIS offer would get loss relief in any company which fails. If you're investing into the VCT, that's not the case. So you want that diversified portfolio. And some VCTs that are more established, they're more likely to contain a wider mix of investee companies. There's some investments made under previous VCT rules, which allowed for more asset-backed investments or management buyouts. Though over time, the allocation to such companies is diminishing. As across each VCT fundraise, they'll be deployed into the risk-to-capital companies. Another important factor is once an investee company has received investment from the VCT, it can stay within the VCT even if it's no longer suitable for further investment due to its age and size. And such investments from the VCT can help de-risk investments from the portfolio of just high-risk companies, though they may not have the same future growth potential that a VCT full of just early-stage companies might have. And likewise, if a VCT contains one company which has been a runaway success in terms of performance, then the client needs to be aware that while there may be a large number of companies within the VCT, on a percentage of NAV basis, the top holding could account for a significant portion of that. And if that con company continues to grow in terms of performance, happy days for investors. But for whatever reason, if that company sees a drop in value, it could have a significant impact on the performance of the VCT and returns for clients. And finally, price and value. Advisors should consider the initial and ongoing fees plus the annual running costs and any potential cap on fees for VCT. As well as the costs of managing a listed entity, with typically a largely independent board, the investment manager should be spending a considerable amount of time researching potential investee companies, as well as helping them grow, develop, and hopefully through an exit pit, an exit as well. And such investments are time-consuming to manage. These companies have a limit on the amount of VCT qualifying investment they can receive. So to an extent, VCTs are limited on the economies of scale that they can reach on each investee company. VCTs investing in aim-listed companies, the fees are typically less because these companies require less hands-on support through their investment. However, all fees need to be considered in relation to the performance of a VCT to be able to assess the element of value as well. This is why we encourage advisors to filter by track record score and performance, as well as the fees and charges. But being able to demonstrate these three things can be time-consuming, especially if this is not your normal business. This is precisely why my app is so popular with advisors, as you can complete all of it in just a few minutes. 
Thank you very much for that, Mark. There was an awful lot of information that you've crammed into that 20 minutes. And we know, don't we, that VCTs aren't the new kid on the block anymore. They are an established asset class now. And it often surprises me that more and more advisors aren't active in the market. So, and it's not just about that tax enhanced status that they enjoy either, is it? No, not at all. And the performance of VCTs, it can be mixed, but the performance of the listed stock market has been mixed as well over the same time frame. That's very true. Well, thank you very much for your time on the podcast today. We very much appreciate it. And we know that advisors will be able to go to MyCap and get more and more research information should they require it. But thank you, Mark, for your time today. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. We always appreciate it when you listen to our podcast and we hope you'll tune in again next week. Thank you. IFA Talk is for investment professionals only. All material has been carefully checked for accuracy, but no responsibility can be accepted for inaccuracies. Whatever appropriate, independent research and whatever necessary legal advice should be sought before acting on any information contained in this podcast. And value of investments and income from them can go down as well as up. You may not get back the amount you originally invested.